0: the Holy Gospel according to John, the 20th chapter. Glory to Lord. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O God. On the church calendar, there are three major festivals, three three really big deal kind of days. The first, of course, is Christmas, which everybody knows is a big deal. Even the world knows this, and so they have sales, and we schedule extra services, and people show up for the sales and for the services. And then, of course, there is Easter. It's a big deal, and even the world knows that, and so they have brunches, and people make reservations, and we have services, and people... People come early to get their seats, and every, every year it's the biggest Sunday of attendance of the whole year. And then there's Pentecost, the poor thing. Which sometimes ends up being kind of the little Cinderella of the major festivals, the poor stepsister whom people forget about and ignore and mistreat. I mean, the world doesn't even blink a blink in the direction of Pentecost, which, to be clear, I'm perfectly fine with. But sometimes Christians... Don't blink any blinks in the direction of Pentecost either. And that's kind of sad because it's a big deal. The good news is that Pentecost is a big deal whether people deal with it or not. For Pentecost is about God. More precisely, the Holy Spirit of God not blinking in the direction of us, but coming all the way to us to empower us faithfully to be the people of God whether we're at church or at brunch or at the mall or by the world ignored and forgotten. For the good news of Pentecost that God keeps God's promises, including one of the very last promises God's Son spoke on earth before leaving us, but not leaving us alone because he left us with a promise, I will be with you always. Pentecost is the story of that promise being kept for the church then, for the church now, for all of us, for you. Pentecost is actually not a church word. It's an old Greek word, and it simply means 50th. When it was used originally, however, it was not used first as one of the three major Christian festivals. That word Pentecost was used for A Jewish festival, which back in the day fell on the 50th day after the Jewish celebration of Passover. On that 50th day, Jewish pilgrims from all over the world would come to the holy city of Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. And as they did, of course, they were all speaking there from all over the world, languages to each other in the city. In that reading we heard from the Pentecost story today, it is the Jewish day of Pentecost, except in Acts 2, it is not only 50 days after Passover. In Acts 2, it's also 50 days after the very first Easter. Forty days after the first Easter, according to Luke's counting, Jesus went home. To use the language of the the creeds, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Before leaving, however, he gave his disciples, he gave his church a mission statement in which he made clear that he did not want his church to just be these people who came to church. Kind of gathered behind walls away from the world. He wanted his church to be his church out there in the world and for the world, the entire world. The way he said it in the book of Acts was, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I did some studying. That includes Johnson County, Iowa. But this is important. Jesus didn't, in those last words for his disciples, say, okay, here's your mission, here's your purpose, ready, set, go. He said, here's your mission, here's your purpose, ready, set, wait. Wait until you are clothed with power from on high for your purpose, and that power, he said, would be the power of the Holy Spirit coming down upon them from God. And so following orders, the first thing Jesus' disciples said after he ascended into heaven on the 40th day of Easter was ready, set, wait, which they did until the 50th day, which the Greek language did call the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. We've got to talk about another Greek word, which some people like less than others. Sarah likes when I do Greek, like Miguel and Juanita like when I do Spanish, because they both think, my, well, you know, it's sad. <laughs> There's a Greek word. In English letters, P-N-E-U-M-A, pneuma. Numa can mean breath, as in our word pneumonia. Numa can mean air, as in our word pneumatic. Numa can mean spirit, as in Holy Spirit. And numa, the same word, can mean wind, as in, as in. When the day of Pentecost had come and the disciples were all together in one place praying and waiting for the power that Jesus had promised to clothe them with, suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And what then looked like tongues, tongues of fire, Blew down on top of each of them and filled with this holy pneuma, this holy wind, this holy breath, this holy spirit. The disciples, these uneducated Galilean fishermen, began to speak to people in tongues, in other languages, as the pneuma, the wind, the breath, the spirit, gave them the ability. But this is important. They weren't just speaking and babbling randomly. What they were doing was speaking to all people from all over the world who were in Jerusalem and telling them in their own native from all over the world languages that Jesus died, risen, and ascended to the Father's right hand is Lord of all. Let's do some math. Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus says to his followers, be my witnesses to the peoples of every nation to the ends of the earth. Acts 2 verse 4, the holy wind blows... And the disciples are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 verse 5, Jews from every known nation on earth were in Jerusalem. Acts 2 verse 6, these uneducated Galilean fishermen bore witness to Jesus to the people of all these old nations from all over the world in their own native language. And the math adds up to what? It adds up to this promise. Through the holy wind, the holy breath, the Holy Spirit, back then and here and now, because this is a promise, that same Holy Spirit was given to you not when a tongue of fire blew down on your head but in the waters of your baptism. Through the holy wind, the holy breath, the Holy Spirit, God empowers among God's people what God purposes for God's people which means, well, I've had all week to think about what it means. You should be welcome to my head. Let me give you just a few things in the terms of the directions this went. Sunday afternoon, Kathy and I drove to Pella to visit friends. Monday afternoon, we drove home. It was windy out of the west, which means I was driving north out of Pella, and I happened to have my daughter's car, and heading north out to the interstate. It's a low-profile car. It's a Chevy Cruze, for goodness sakes. I had to keep my hand pretty firmly on the wheel or I'd start drifting over to the shoulder on the east side. I came behind this little motorcycle. I thought, that poor guy, that's gotta be tough to ride that thing in this wind. Then I came up behind a really high profile semi and trailer. I thought it was leaning to the east. I thought, oh my, it's gotta be tough driving that thing in the wind. And then I got on the interstate. I'm heading east and driving was a breeze, right? Which, because welcome to my head, I'm pretty much, pretty much never not thinking about sermons. This is, this is why people don't invite me to parties, I've decided. It left me thinking this as I drove. The experience you have driving varies tremendously depending on how the direction you are driving relates to the direction of the wind. The experience we have following Jesus as individuals or as the church, will also vary tremendously depending on how the direction we are living relates to the purposes and desires of the Spirit, God's holy wind. Which got me thinking that if the Holy Spirit is the holy wind of God, then the primary purpose of discipleship, when discipleship is a mature and truly spiritual thing, is not to try to redirect or control the wind. I mean, good luck with that. The primary purpose of discipleship, when when discipleship is a mature and truly spiritual thing, is to discern which way the wind is blowing, face the same direction, and raise your sails. That got me thinking of my 33 years as a pastor and some of the most rewarding things that I've seen churches do and it occurred to me that some of those most rewarding things, I think they, they were doing exactly that, hoisting their sails in the direction that they discerned God's wind was blowing, and then God empowers with God's purposes. A, a, a recent and even just yet emerging example at Gloria Day, in what we prayed was a spirit led process last year we gathered as many as you who would come in what we called grace gatherings, and we just started you know where, where, praying, asking where, where are we being led to discern I mean we all know our mission statement go make disciples of all nations baptizing them and, and you know to the ends of the earth, but you know you 've got to hang that on some hooks that are a little more specific to your context. so we started asking what what exactly does that look like at Glory Day Lutheran Church? We came up with six things, but one of them was that though of course we want to be a church where the gospel is preached, I mean goodness, where, where the bread of life, Jesus, the water of life, is shared with people whose souls are hungry and thirsty for life, we also believe that we in this city, in this nation in these days are called to share literal food and water with people who don't have enough of that for life. Into that emerged sense of purpose came Dan and Nova Colander who who had not tongues of fire but hearts of fire that had been lit up as they had begun working with this organization called Water to Thrive which I had never heard of. This is another thing I've learned. Many good things the church has done when I've served with it has done with nothing I knew. They were lit up and I listened to these two guys talk about water to thrive and and I thought to myself, there's a wind blowing. This is a holy wind. And and then they share this story with a bunch of you in some different settings and folks here at Gloria Day started getting fired up. I'm thinking, oh, I'm not the only one who thinks this. This, this holy wind, I think it's a strong wind. Then a number of people who were fired up with not tongues of fire but hearts of fire started saying yes to, to some leadership stuff, starting to saying yes to talking about some ways we could we could hoist our sails. And catch that wind and doing what it sure seemed like was something we were called to do. And the wind was blowing upshot. We really have even barely just begun. And we've already committed for one well in, in a city in Africa that Gloria Day has donated the $5,000 for that to happen. So there's a village in Africa that will have fresh water instead of walking miles and miles and miles for not even fresh water. And we're not done yet. We're going to do more. I think we'll probably do a lot more. And, and the reason is because I think that. The reason because I think, I think God is blowing on this one in, in two hearts that are lit, but in a lot of hearts that are lit with that purpose of something God does call us to do, and that is to not just share the water of life but to share water for life. God empowers among God's people what God purposes for God's people, and when you see that happening, it's a joy. You want to know the power of the Spirit. Here's a start. Face and walk in the direction that the wind, God's wind, is blowing. Now that said, this was only Monday's thoughts. I had all week. Imagine being my wife. <laughs> Don't imagine. It's a, it's a painful situation for, for her. Um, here's, I started thinking something 180 degrees different. seems to me that everybody's as important as being a spiritual church or a spiritual person, though of course it involves driving with the wind. Mature spiritual discipleship is exactly also precisely not about driving with every single wind there is. Sometimes, and there is nothing resembling spiritual maturity until you realize that sometimes, Getting where God's spirit is leading us together, or getting where God's spirit might not be right now leading you, also means that we or you or me have to go across or even sometimes straight into winds that are not God's. They are the world's winds, but they are strong and prevailing. Examples are endless. See and feel, for example, all the prevailing winds in our world blowing in the directions of vengeance, getting back, getting even, but there is God's counterwind, God's crosswind prevailingly blowing in the direction of forgiveness. Or see and feel all the prevailing winds in our school or in your in your in your in your school or your social media streams in our world, all of them how many of them are blowing in the direction of being a boorish, and mean-spirited bully. But there is God's counterwind, God's crosswind blowing in the direction of being a compassionate and unflaggingly spirited advocate. Or see and feel all the prevailing winds in the world blowing in the direction of I want more, I want more. But there's God's counterwind, God's crosswind blowing in the direction of I could give more. Or see and feel the prevailing winds in our world and in our rhetoric, rhetoric blowing us in the direction of it's all about us and people like us. But there is God's counterwind, God's crosswind, blowing us in the direction ever of others, the world's not us's. Or see and feel the prevailing Winds in our world saying the world exists for us to use for us. But there's God's counterwind, God's crosswind blowing ever since Genesis 1 when the Spirit, the wind, was blowing over the waters, saying the world exists for us to care for, for God, and for generations to come. I could go on, but the point is surely made. Sometimes facing in the direction of God's holy wind means facing against other prevailing winds. For there's no such thing as spiritual maturity without being open to the times in which God's wind will at times drive us into the teeth of strong counter winds that are not holy at all. We've been studying the book of Acts as these disciples are windblown into the world and there's one point where they're doing the things they're doing and, and the complaint comes blowing backs against them. They are turning the world upside down. Yes, they are. Sometimes the world needs upside downing to be the world God is calling it to be. A final thought. Monday there was no problem whatsoever discerning which direction the wind was blowing. I could be faced in any direction whatsoever and I could feel which way the wind was blowing. It wasn't, however, it's not necessarily the case that you can always discern which direction God's wind is blowing by how things feel. Like I said, sometimes the the world has strong winds and sometimes the strongest winds you can feel aren't God's winds at all. Sometimes God's wind is the one that's blowing gently. So how is a person supposed to know which winds to drive with and which winds to drive against? Well, this is where this whole topic of spiritual discernment comes in and it's a, you know what, it's a, it's a hard thing sometimes for sure. But there's some stuff in our text. Two, two quick things then we're done. The first is, I, you notice the disciples were all together in one place. I think discerning the will of God, you know, we try to gather folks together. I think discerning the will of God is done in the context of praying and talking together more often, more effectively than it is when I'm just trying to go it alone. Another thing, though, and this I talked about earlier, I'm talking about the fact that the Spirit of God, and we see it here, the wind of God, the power of God, was given to the disciples in Acts 2 so that they could fulfill the purposes of God. The mission of God, the marching orders Jesus, the Son of God, had given his disciples in Acts 1. There's not a place in Scripture that I find where it says that God has power available so that you can do what you want. There are all kinds of promises in Scripture that God has the power of the Spirit available for you so that you can do what God wants. Which may, when it matches a passion that God builds in your heart, lights a fire, it's holy ground. God's power is given for God's purposes. That's the promise. Which means that sometimes it might be and sometimes it won't be something you can necessarily feel. But if you're doing what God's the one calling you toward, what you need to get it done will 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 be there when you need it. In fact, I think I've, I can think of times in my life where I've been wanting to do what God wants me to do, and I start, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, not quite, and it just seems like I can think of the times where life or loved ones, and you know what, in the end, even the desire to do what God wanted me to do seems the Spirit even had a way of helping me and us find our way there. If you want to know the power of the God, then drive in the direction of the purposes of God. For God, and this is a promise of God, and God keeps promises. God empowers what God purposes. So Holy Spirit, holy breath, holy wind, blow. Blow your church, blow us into the world to be the ways that you continue to make the world new again and alive again and yours again forever at last. Amen.